If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is, conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute, and craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's gonna be great. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps and Beavers. <laughs> Did um, you hear my little sorry? Something, I heard your throat clear. All of a sudden, I had something caught in my throat. I'm so sorry, peepers, peeps and creepers. I'm, I'm Dan. <laughs> I'm Lindsay. It's a rough, <laughs> rough morning here. Lindsay forgot that the mics are on while the intro goes. I, I didn't forget. I just, <laughs> I was just in my own head. That's I'm okay. Like, oh, I'm like, there's a weird feeling in my throat. Uh, thanks for listening, for, uh, for watching us on YouTube, and, and Happy New Year. Well, it's New Year's Eve. Well, it like the last minutes. Oh, so what is it? Right. So, so really, oh. anyone, if you're even if you're listening to this when you when you first when it first drops, you're going into the new year. Happy New Year! So Happy New Year! Welcome to the new decade. That's right, new decade. Can we do ten more years of scares? Hope so. Aye. Will I make it? Will you make it? Probably not. At some point, I have a meltdown. <laughs> uh, thanks again for the continued ratings and reviews. Uh, you know, I check in there, see the, see the, you know, uh, check in with the overall tone of what's coming in. It's as far as people liking it, not liking it. People like it. Good, good. So that's good. More people like it than don't like it by far. So good stuff, and we appreciate that, and we appreciate you spreading the word. Thank you, friends. And we have a, uh, we have a good, we have a good couple shows today. Uh, I think a little scarier than last week. Please no. Because last week, you know, was more like the holiday kind of theme. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More, more traditional scares again this week. Okay. So our first story comes from a subreddit where someone posted a tale of what seems to be a series of encounters with the very angry spirit of a reclusive woman who was not ready to let go of her earthly home. Alrighty then. So not a fun house to move into. No thanks. Second tale, the Amherst Mystery, where we head back to the late 1800s to look oh. at one of Canada's strangest and allegedly most witnessed Paranormal events. Oh, Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this oh, is a it, interesting story for sure. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and I know you have what? How many stories today for us? I have two. You have a pair two of my stories. Stories from okay. our awesome fans. You send in the best stories that are so terrifying. Any any hints of what they may be, or no? Just gonna have to find out. I would I would say let's wait and see. Okay. Okay. Some wait and sees. Mm-hmm. 
Do you have your um, fuzzy socks and your, I and your blanket ready to I, go? I am wearing some zebras if you're in the U.S., if you're in the U.K., zebras okay. that somebody sent me. They're so cute. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to get cozy. I'm super grateful for this blanket because I've got the post-Christmas bloat because I've eaten everything <laughs> in sight. And I'm just going to hide behind my blanket. And hope everybody had a, a good Christmas, good, you know, Hanukkah and, or whatever you celebrated. Yeah, all the things. All the things. All hope, the things. We ha- got food, friends, family, whatever. Happy everything. Happy everything. Correct. Okay. Okay. I'm feeling very anxious. Good. Dan gave me caffeine and that's not helping. Oh, boy. Hey. Time now for the tale of the house that still belongs to Miss Fromm. Mm-hmm. When he was young, elementary school age, James lived in what seemed to be a normal house in the American Southwest. Not your typical haunted house. The house wasn't that old. No shadowy attic. No cold stone dirt floor cellar lit only by a single hanging light bulb. It wasn't tucked away near a cemetery. It wasn't the site of a grisly double homicide. When you pulled up to it, it looked welcoming. It had a nice sidewalk out in front, which is a block behind a busy street of popular shops and restaurants. For the most part, a young man named James, just a kid when our story takes place, loved this nondescript two-story plus an attic, basic, big box of a home built in the 1970s. At least James loved it during the day before the sun went down. At night, James recalls the house coming alive, and no one will ever convince him that it isn't haunted by its former owner, or that at least it was when he lived there as a kid. The former and original owner of the home was a single woman named Miss Fromm. Trudy, a woman who lived next door, gave James's parents some interesting information about Miss Fromm. Okay. Trudy said Miss Fromm was a reclusive gym teacher who had taught at a local grade school. So random. Before she retired and then died. And she said she wasn't well liked by basically anyone. She had a reputation for being pretty brutal to her pupils back when you could still smack kids in school with a ruler across their knuckles without losing your job. Ugh. And she was apparently very particular about her house, getting into disputes with Trudy and other neighbors about things like fence height, tree branches encroaching uh, on the property, noise violations of anyone's volume, rose above the level of basic conversational, etc. She was not a good neighbor. She sounds nuts. And Trudy didn't recall ever seeing a single guest ever visit Miss Fromm in the many years they lived next door to each other. Well, yeah, who's going to visit Cranky Bitch? Exactly. Trudy thought Miss Fromm was so fanatical about her house, her grass always perfectly mowed, her garden always, you know, free from weeds, everything just so, probably because the house was all she had. Mm. And then when Miss Fromm died suddenly of a heart attack, she was dead for over a week before anyone even knew she was gone. Oh. A realtor bought her home at an auction and modernized it before selling it to James's parents. The realtor had changed up everything. He turned the attic into two separate bedrooms. In a closet space that divided them between a mini hall. He tore up the flower beds Miss Fromm had planted and repainted the home's exterior. He'd made numerous other renovations. And a few weeks after completing this construction, his only daughter died in a freak accident where she was literally struck by lightning. What? Obviously, her death could be a coincidence, but Trudy told James's parents that she and some of the other neighbors half joked that Miss Fromm had somehow killed the realtor's daughter from beyond the grave. For messing with her precious house. No. Yeah, just just what they, you know, speculation. When James lived there, he slept in one of the attic bedrooms. His sister slept in the other. His parents slept in a second floor bedroom. And his brother slept in the fourth and final bedroom, also on the second floor. And in his attic bedroom, at night, James writes that he used to hear Miss Fromm. Some nights, even as a kid, he could rationalize 
some of the old creaks and groans as the normal noises of any building. But then there was the sound of breathing that would come from under his bed. Oh my God. That wasn't the sound of a house. There was also the sound of someone walking up to his room, his door rattling as if a strong gust of wind had just hit it. And then there would be a sudden drop in temperature that would go away just before James heard the door rattle again. And then he would hear the sound of footsteps heading down the stairs, as if someone had just walked up the stairs, walked through his door, walked around his room, and then left. Get the fuck out. James also had terrible nightmares that went away as soon as he and his family left the home. He recalls dreaming of evil puppets living behind the sofa, of a cloaked figure living in the hedge, a masked man who would hand James a slip of paper in the night with some type of warning written on it. What? On several occasions, James's sister woke up to feeling something grabbing her ankle, something trying to pull her out of her bed. At first, she told herself that it was all just a dream, the kind where it feels like you're awake, but then she heard that James was also having hard-to-explain experiences, and she became convinced that something actually was physically grabbing her in the night. Once while sleeping, James's brother claimed he watched his sheets be pulled off of him by something he could not see. Even James's mother, a true skeptic who refused to believe her kids' initial claims of something bothering them in the night, ended up seeing something resembling a hand curl around her bedroom door and open it. What? All sorts of strange events occurred in that house. A friend of James's sister said that once, during a sleepover, she woke up to find James's sister sitting up in her bed, totally asleep, but talking into the darkest corner of the room. She heard her whisper, we won't change anything, I promise. Oh my God. One time when James took some pictures in the kitchen with his mom's phone, one of the photos seemed to reveal some sort of shadowy female figure tucked behind the door. So many things happened in that house. Shortly before James and his family moved out, he began to suffer from some sort of sleep paralysis where he would wake up, unable to move or make a sound, and he would see out of the corner of his eye a shadowy female shape standing near his door. He'd feel it watching him before disappearing into the door and leaving. And James said that as time went on, the poltergeist activity only increased. Things started to go missing. His toys, his sister's toys, clothes, money, all sorts of stuff just began to disappear, and they never found any of it. Weird. Eventually, when James was 12, his parents decided they'd had enough and that it was time to move. And James made the mistake of saying out loud one night when he felt the presence of something in his room that he couldn't wait to leave and that he hated Miss Fromm and that he hoped her stupid house would burn to the ground. Oh, fuck. And then in an act of 12-year-old defiance and bravery, he took a baseball bat he had and smashed it into the trim around his window, putting a big dent in one of the boards and dislodging it from the wall a bit. He cursed between clenched teeth. Do you like that, Miss Fromm? Leave me alone or I'll smash your whole stupid house. James would regret challenging her. Oh, I regret it for him. The next day, Oscar, the family cat, went missing. Oh no, not the cat. No one loved Oscar more than James, and he became hysterical. Three days later, on the last day of moving, the cat was still nowhere to be found. No. The family put flyers up around the neighborhood and looked everywhere. Nothing. Then after taking the last bits of furniture out to a moving truck, James's dad walked out of the house and shared some terrible news. With the family. Fuck. He'd just found Oscar. Uh-huh. The cat was dead. Uh-huh. He'd been trapped inside the washing machine, and it appeared that he had drowned. 
What? And James is convinced that somehow Miss Fromm killed him. How does a fucking cat get in a washing machine? His mother never left the machine door open, and they'd never seen Oscar try to go inside the washing machine before, and they just used the washing machine the day before, two days after Oscar had gone missing. How could he have hid around the house for two full days and then suddenly climbed into the washing machine and had somebody shut it on him right. and had it run for a cycle to drown him with nobody else knowing? <sighs> It's been almost 10 years since all that happened, and James and his family haven't witnessed anything supernatural since. They have also never returned to Miss Fromm's former residence, not wanting to anger the spirits of the lady they are convinced still lives there. Yeah, that bitch be crazy. <laughs> she drowned a cat. I know, that's a sad ending to that story, right? Yeah, I was hoping for some sort of redemption there, but no, nothing. Nope, nope. Thanks a lot, Dan. Killed the cat, and then they moved out. Fuck. Now, hard to find a lot of uh, of pictures on this. I have so many questions. Okay. But really quick before uh, – here's a picture of the home. <laughs> JK. Uh, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I can't even remember how I found this picture. It's it so took, creepy. It, it took me a second. I was like, wait, what's happening? I think it's a bunch of people dressed up for Halloween like or Halloween around 100, uh, 120 years ago or a bunch of carnies who are also demons. And those, isn't that creepy? Like those old, uh, it's old, I think it's old Halloween costumes. Well, also, I think what makes it super creepy is like the one kid in the middle that's not dressed up. Right, right, kind of. He has like an outfit on, but, well, but not a mask. But he's not wearing a mask. And it just... Oh, is that disturbing? And then like the wolves in the back. Check out. <sighs> and that picture led me to this next picture. I'm great. I got stuck in a wormhole of old timey. Oh my uh, God. Oh my God. Look at the three little things in the back. Oh my God. What the fuck is that? Exactly. I think it's Halloween again. That is oh, disturbing. I don't know if that's Halloween. That feels like some sort of like sadistic ritual shit. Oh my God. Old timey pictures. Are you going to. Oh God. I feel like this is going to inspire you to do some like old timey uh, devil shit oh my god well look, look at the, this next one this one got joe this is the next one this is the creepiest of all what that doesn't bother me really like there's little faces kind of like it's like like cloth or something they turn into costumes but it just oh those aren't just, kids huh <laughs> those are kids those, i think i think yeah. no i think they're kids yeah, they're, kids, they're kids, kids dressed up for halloween that. but it, I, I, they just look so creepy to me it looks like something out of a horror movie oh i guess maybe the the one on the back with the big lips I guess. Right. That one doesn't bother me. That one really got Joe, huh? And yeah. And, and what have you been doing with these pictures? I, I know not everybody can watch on YouTube. You said that because um, people were asking, where do, where do you put them? Oh, Harmony is posting them on the Scared to Death Instagram. Okay. Okay. I don't. I think that they went on Facebook as well. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that they're in both places. Uh, just with the holiday, some of our staff is out of the office. So I'll uh, yeah. text her later and ask her. But I remember you guys talking last in the office about how people were liking that because I we know not everyone can can see right like on you know YouTube. well you might be at work and you might yeah. not be able to watch at that time uh right so you, you can know. check on instagram yeah yeah and i know that some people do like they'll watch it and then they'll listen right. and, then and then they'll, they'll watch, watch later yeah. yeah 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 uh so yeah check the scared to death social medias so so what were your uh questions you had comments well, who moved in after they moved out mm, they don't know oh i want to talk to those people because i feel like this is something that probably went on and on and on right right yeah there's no like exact location no last names a lot of those stories posted in like uh, online forums i mean I, I do kind of like that they're mysterious that way it's just some random username you know it's not like a, an author or anything and it's like kind of like the my stories it's mm -hmm. just it's just like my stories sent out there to, you know, uh, a subreddit or whatever, posted somewhere. Right, right, right. So there really is no peripheral details. Like, what the Damn story it. I tell is is all the details that, that are given. 
This net our next story, a lot of more more details. I think that I had them flipped in my head because I was like, wait, the most documented like this how next is- one is this next one was uh, heavily do- a long time ago, right? But heavy, heavily heavily yeah heavily documented at the time. Are you drunk? It's just you know what you know what I I notice when I talk. It's because. I <laughs> have a tiny well, mouth. It, well, maybe I have a tiny mouth, but also I'm thinking I'll be trying to think of like uh, two, three, four sentences ahead as I'm saying one sentence. Oh, and then I mess it up. That's totally not how my brain works. I'm always I'm always trying to like uh, stay where I'm talking as opposed to talking, but then immediately thinking about things. I do that on stage as a comic a lot. Like I have to fight against it where I'll be telling a story mm-hmm. and thinking about something completely separate from the story I'm telling. Well, I guess maybe I do have that problem because you know I talk in circles. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people do. Um, like, where's James now? Is James okay? I mean, I know they said like nothing yeah. else ever happened, but like, yeah. does James think about what happened then? Um, I mean, did I don't James know. get a new cat? Right, right. What What do the neighbors have to say? The lightning yeah. thing. There's no. Yeah, that's probably just coincidence. But yeah, I mean, but it just that I, is crazy. I don't. I think. It, I think. Go ahead. I think that detail just speaks to how the neighbor Trudy felt about this Miss Fromm. Right. And, and right. how the other neighbors felt about her. Just speaks to how she was so, uh, you know, kind of creepy, not yeah. well liked, and just so obsessive about her house. I, I, of course, then had to think about my own gym teacher growing up. I don't know okay. what, like your grade school oh, gym I, teacher. I have a picture of my Mrs. Bagley. Oh. Marilyn Bagley. Okay, Marilyn. Mm-hmm. Mr. Holtzworth. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he would wear hammer pants. Nice. He was like he was like thin and very fit. Okay, funny hammer pants. And I just remember he'd wear those like hammer pants. And also like, did Ms. anybody like him? Does anybody ever like their PE? I teacher? liked my PE teacher. Uh, I had Mr. Stowers. I liked him, and I liked uh, Mrs. Bagley. I liked her, and uh, both of them were hard asses. And I liked that about both of them. Yeah. Mrs. Bagley wore um, slacks every day and like a button-up shirt, and she hated most of the other kids. And I loved it because I also hated most of the other kids. <laughs> And so it's like other teachers would be soft on them. Yeah. I'd, I'd see them just, you know, just acting like fools in class and like getting away with stupid shit. Yeah. And then she would come down hard on them and I'd be like, fucking yes. Get him, Mrs. Bagley. <laughs> Same with Mr. Stowers. He would just rip people's heads off. Wow. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. Do it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm, Mr. Holdsworth. Well, looking back, I mean, it's a complicated situation too because it's like we would have to change for PE. Did you have to change? Uh, yes. So when I when I think about it, you know, like the girls would take forever. We'd be in there just like yeah. dicking around, and it's not like he can come in there and yell at us. So, like right. the I way mean, he could, but he'd get in a lot of trouble. A, a lot of trouble. And the way that the the bathroom was for PE, it's like there was a small, like little short hallway. Yeah. And then, you, I mean, you opened the door to the bathroom, short little like entryway, and yeah. then you know you're in. And it's not, it wasn't a locker room either. Oh, okay. It was just like four stalls, oh. and so it was just chaos in there. I bet. Right? You know, 15 girls with shit flying everywhere. And Oh, okay. Ours was locker room. Yeah. No, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why. And I went to like a, you know, a good, expensive, private school. Yeah. I don't know why yeah. we didn't have a locker room. We had a locker We showered after PE. Went we back had to class. that. We, we rolled up our towels and whipped each other in the dick and then went back to class. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you like it? No. Okay. No. I just didn't know if it was we something you wanted. Other. I don't think I actually ever got hit. I remember one kid getting hit and oh, he cried for so long. Ricky Herman got zapped right in the end of the dick. Ricky Herman. But didn't uh, no one like Ricky Herman? Wasn't he a crybaby anyways? I can't talk about it. 
I don't know. I don't, I don't know Ricky Herman. I'm just like making this shit up. Uh, it, but no, but like I was thinking about this as you're telling the story. Yeah. Like, oh man, like how did Holtzworth keep us in check? Because he couldn't come in there and yell at us. We would take yeah. forever. And then as we got older, we would smoke cigarettes in the bathroom. Mm, sounds about I right. I mean, older. We were like seventh grade. Oh, geez. That poor guy. Oh, we were so awful. He hated, he probably hated you guys and hated his job. Probably. I think I think he's still around where I grew up. Oh, okay. We should ask so, him. Should visit him. Holtzworth. Sorry. Sorry about the cigarettes, man. <laughs> Sorry about that. My bad. You ready for some more horror? I was trying this to a, stall. This is a longer story. Okay. All right. Little, little, little setup for this one before we okay. get into the scary part. So 1879, Walter Hubble, Canadian stage actor with an interest in the paranormal, kind of a paranormal investigator before, before there really was such a thing formally. Uh, dude wrote a book about a young woman in Amherst, Nova Scotia, who was surrounded by a lot of poltergeist activity witnessed by a lot of people. I have a friend from Nova Scotia. Uh, yeah, you do. Uh, I do. I know of your friend. The book was published as The Haunted House. A true ghost story, and it sold well, over 55,000 copies when it was first published. Mm -hmm. Well for a regional kind of publication, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Story now commonly known on the web as the Great Amherst Mystery. In 1913, uh, Hereward Carrington, a British-born American psychic researcher, kind of again like a ghost investigator before there was such a thing, really. Uh, he would reinvestigate the same case and publish an account uh, of Hubble having detained sworn witness statements in 1908 from 16 different people who stuck by their accounts of what they say they'd witnessed 29 years before. Okay. So if all this is to be believed, then this tale of poltergeist activity is one of the most documented ghost sightings in Canadian history. All right. That sounds like fun. The whole story centers around 18-year-old Esther Cox, who falls into a dark depression after a male friend attempts to sexually assault her and then murder her to cover it up. Hey, okay. Shortly after this traumatic experience, all sorts of paranormal events start to occur around Esther. Uh, multiple family members, neighbors, friends over a period of several months would go on to witness objects moving around on their own, hear strange noises, even witness an actual apparition, and watch the spontaneous setting of fires. What? Mm -hmm. Just yeah. just random fucking fires? Oh, yeah. We're going to get into that in the story. All sorts of stuff. That's new. Mm-hmm. Okay. All, all of this would take place in Amherst, Nova Scotia. Uh, Amherst, a beautiful little town on the Canadian coast of the famous Bay of Fundy. An extremely scenic bay just east of Maine in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, in 1880, Amherst had a population of about 3,000 souls. Four churches, a school, a music hall, a large iron foundry, a large shoe factory. And according to author Walter Hubble, more stores of various kinds than any village in its size in the province. Or of its size in the province. So a small but happening little place. Sure, sure. A lot of life going on there. Esther and several others lived in a two-story home on Princess Street near one of the town's churches little two-story yellow cottage with a small front yard. On the first floor, there were four rooms, parlor containing a large bay window, dining room with an old-fashioned clock, numerous homemade rugs, easy chairs, large dining table. Next to the dining room was a small adjoining kitchen containing a wood stove, large pine table, small washstand, a door opening into the side yard near the carriage stable, a second door leading to a wash shed, a third door connecting it with the dining room, and the fourth room was a small sewing room. So many doors. <laughs> so many doors. A lot of these old houses, I've noticed that in some of these, uh, uh, you know, haunted house stories. A lot of doors back then that they would shut and, you know, to kind of like control the draft Well, and that's stuff. what I was going to say. It's Air probably, circulation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like uh, people get sick, like quarantine, yep, all yep. those all sorts things of that things. we just don't have to think about now. Yeah, a lot of interior doors that would shut, sometimes lock, like in those, yeah, those type of houses. Yeah. Uh, one could then head up a, a short flight of stairs, turn left to find themselves in the second story. 
consisted of an entry and then four small bedrooms all opening into the same entry. Uh, so now let's talk about who lived there. Okay. Uh, this humble cottage was the home of Daniel Teed, 35-year-old shoemaker. Dan's wife, Olive, age not given, ran the home. Dan and Olive had two little boys, Willie, five, and George, the baby, just over a year old. Jane and Esther Cox, Olive's two younger sisters, also lived there. Oh, okay, the sisters. Mm -hmm. the time, and that was very common back then, yeah, big absolutely. families living together. Uh, at the time of the supernatural disturbances, Jane was 22, Esther was 18. Uh, both young women well-liked in the community. Jane, Esther, and Olive's brother, William Cox, also lived there. Uh, no age given for him. He worked in the same shoe factory as Dan. Okay. Finally, Dan's brother, John Teed, also lived in the home, working on a local farm as a farmhand. So a lot of family. A lot of people in this house. Mm-hmm. One, two. Okay, yeah, I'm like counting. A lot yeah, of people. Yeah, okay. yeah, common for the time. None of them had reputations for being odd or seeing anything odd or or for anything else of note. Right, right. You know, just, just a group of, you know, normal, hardworking Canadians living in their uh, quaint little town on the Bay of Fundy. Okay. Then on the morning of August 28th, 1878, Esther Cox tells her sisters, Jane and Olive, that she's had a terrible dream the night before. She said, Last night, I sat for two hours on the front step looking at the stars. After I came in and went down into the cellar in my stocking feet and drank about a pint of buttermilk, a large rat ran between my feet. Ew. Then Jane and I went to our room, shut the door, said our prayers and went to bed, and in a short time we both fell asleep. And I dreamt that when I got up in the morning, everything and everybody was changed except myself. This cottage, instead of being yellow, was green. You, Dan, Jane, Brother William, John Teed, Willie, and George all had heads like bears, and you all growled at me, but yet could talk. And what was very strange, you all had eyes as large as horses' eyes, only they were red as blood. Ugh. While I was talking to you, I heard a noise in the street, and on going to the door, I saw hundreds of black bulls with blue eyes, very bright blue eyes. Coming towards the house, blood dripping from their mouths and their feet made the fire come out of the ground. What? Crazy dream. Uh, they came roaring very loudly all the time, right straight for the house. They broke down the fence. I shut the front door, locked it, then ran to the back door and fastened it. They all commenced to butt the house so violently that it nearly fell over. It shook so that I woke up and found that I had fallen out of bed. And then Esther wondered if her dream was some kind of omen of bad things to come. Jane, her sister, told her that it was just the buttermilk that she had had that made her, you know, both had the bad dream and think she had seen a rat in the cellar. All right. But then something bad did happen that very night. Was her dream, her crazy dream, actually some sort of omen? At 10 minutes to 8, a carriage, and this is still the setup and, you know, we'll get into the haunting here soon. Uh, at 10 minutes to 8, a carriage pulled up, driven by Bob McNeil. Another local shoemaker described as a fine-looking, mustachioed young man with black hair and dark eyes. Mustachioed. Mustachioed. Hot. Old-timey. I can picture the wax in it. You know? uh -huh. uh. Both both Jane and Olive had teased their little sister, Esther, about having a crush on Bob. Oh, okay, okay. So Bob took Esther for a carriage ride, just the two of them. And then instead of sticking to the main road in town like he had always done in the past, Bob drove Esther away from town and out into the country on a seldom-used road. And that's where Esther said Bob got out of the carriage and asked her to come out into the woods, fool oh. around with him. Oh, dear. She refused, and he got angry, started to demand that she come out into the woods with him. The more she refused, the angrier he became, and he started to call her all sorts of vulgar names. And then he pulled out a pistol. Oh, my God. And threatened to kill her. And then luckily, they both heard the approach of another carriage. 
So Bob hopped back into the carriage, you know, put his pistol away, drove Esther back to her house, muttering about how he should have killed her, how he would have killed her if the other carriage hadn't driven up for embarrassing him. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Esther was shocked by the whole incident. She had never seen this side of Bob before. This was way out of character. For the next few weeks, she was extremely morose and withdrawn. She wouldn't tell anyone what happened between her and Bob. And no one saw Bob after that. Dude just vanished. Weird. Olive and Jane didn't get any details from Esther about what happened, and they assumed that the two of them had just had some sort of argument. Mm-hmm. And then perhaps somehow, in some way, initially brought about by this incident between Esther and Bob, strange supernatural activity began to occur with increase, increasing regularity in and around the Teed home. Time now for the tale I'm calling a haunting in Nova Scotia. The first unusual thing to happen in the Teed Cottage was initially written off as nothing more than just a mouse crawling into Esther's bed and waking her up in the middle of the night. What? That's not normal. Back then it was. <sighs> she woke up screaming. Sure, she felt something moving across her skin. <sighs> when she screamed, she woke up Jane, who slept in the same bed. Again, this is common. Sure. And then the two sisters explored the room, finding no sign of this supposed mouse. The very next night, both Jane and Esther awoke to the sound of something moving under their bed. Esther suggested that maybe it was a mouse again. When they looked under the bed, they heard rustling from a green pasteboard box full of patchwork supplies for a future blanket. Was the mouse inside of the box? Jane grabbed the box, pulled it out from under the bed, placed it in the center of the room. And then both she and Esther claimed they saw the box jump up into the air, completely on its own, before falling over onto its side. Hmm... Both women couldn't believe what they just witnessed. Esther turned the box back upright, and then they stood back and watched it as they tried to talk themselves out of what they'd just seen. But then the box jumped up again. What? About a foot into the air. Both Jane and Esther started screaming and, whole, and woke up the whole house. Their brother-in-law, Dan, ran into the room and laughed when they told him what they'd seen. He examined the box, found nothing unusual inside, showed them that there was nothing unusual inside, and then put the box back under their bed. And then he complained about being woken up when he had to work the next morning and went back to bed. Jane and Esther crept into bed, held each other, eventually fearfully falling back asleep. The next morning at breakfast, when Dan teased them, both Jane and Esther insisted that they had definitely seen the box move, twice. When no one took them seriously, they dropped the whole matter. Nothing of note happened that day. And then that night, around 8.30pm, Esther complained of a fever and of not feeling well in general. She went to her room, crawled into bed, and promptly fell asleep. Jane went to bed around 10 p.m., and then a few hours later, Esther woke Jane up. She woke up screaming herself awake, screamed that she was dying. What? Jane lit a lamp and was frightened by the change in her sister's appearance. Esther's short hair was standing on its end, and her skin was suddenly, quote, as red as blood. What? Her eyes were wide with fright and looked as if they would fall out of her head as she stood in the center of the room in her white nightgown. Dan and Olive ran into the room and were also startled by Esther's physical appearance. Esther then started to feel weak and sat down on the bed. Not long after sitting, Esther leapt up screaming that she felt she was about to burst into pieces. What? Then in a low, choking voice, Esther exclaimed, I'm swelling up and certainly shall burst. I know I shall. Dan looked at his sister-in-law's face and remarked in a startled tone, Why, the girl is swelling! Olive, just look at her. Look at her hands, too. See how swollen they are. Oh, my God. And she is as hot as fire. Esther was burning up with the fever. And then only a few minutes after her face was as red as blood, she now suddenly was as pale as death. Her skin had gone from feverish to feeling ice cold. 
While the family stood looking at her, not knowing what to do, her entire body swole up to an enormous size, and she started screaming in pain, grinding her teeth, and then there was a, a boom, a, a sound similar to the crack of thunder, heard by all present. My God, exclaimed Olive, as everyone jumped to their feet. The house has been struck by lightning, and I know my poor boys are killed. What? Olive then ran from the room to check on her children, found them both sleeping soundly. Okay. She returned to Esther and Jane's room where everyone else stood still looking at Esther, wondering what had produced the terrible sound. It was not a stormy night. The stars could be seen shining brightly outside the window. Everyone agreed that whatever they heard, it wasn't thunder. Just as they came to that agreement, three more loud reports were heard. The sound seemed to emanate directly from under Esther's bed. They were so loud that the whole room seemed to shake, and Esther, who a moment before had been swollen up to an unnatural size, now almost instantaneously assumed her normal appearance. And then she fell into a deep sleep. As soon as everyone else agreed that she was just asleep and not actually dead, they all left the room except for Jane, who went back to bed beside her sister, laying they, awake for the rest of the night. They all went back to bed? What mm -hmm. the fuck? Mm-hmm. ay 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 Esther slept in the next morning until about 9 o'clock, then got up and had breakfast, said she felt fine, like the events of the previous evening had never happened. Everyone, of course, talked about what they'd seen. Uh, yeah. But when no one could determine what any of it could mean, they all agreed not to talk about it outside the home. And essentially, the entire matter was dropped. Then four nights later, Esther was again afflicted by a strange bout of swelling, accompanied by more supernatural phenomena. It all began around 10 o'clock at night, just as she was getting into bed. She had just managed to get into bed before her body began to swell. Jane advised her to remain perfectly still, hoping this strange attack would pass. Esther had been in bed about five minutes when suddenly the blanket and sheet suddenly flew off of the bed on their own. Oh my god. Settled into a far corner of the room. Esther and Jane both screamed. Then Jane fainted. The rest of the family soon rushed into the room, frightened, not knowing what to do. Olive grabbed the blanket, laid it back on top of her sister's. The moment she let go of it, it flew off again. What the fuck? Landing back in the same corner of the room. A moment later, the pillow flew out from under Esther's head, struck John Teed in the face. <laughs> what? Who, terrified, immediately fled the room. I don't know why that's funny. I know it is funny to me, the pillow to the face. <laughs> At this point, Jane regained consciousness. William Cox went down into the kitchen for a bucket of water to bathe Esther's head, which was aching terribly. Just as he made it out the door, a succession of loud reports was heard coming from Esther and Jane's bed from under it. Right, it's all from under the bed. The sounds were so loud, the whole room shook. Esther, who had a moment before been swollen up, now quickly assumed her natural appearance. And within a few minutes, she fell back asleep. The same sequence of events as before. Everyone in the house was shaken up. No one knew what to do. Everyone soon went back to bed. I mean, everyone should stay together, for fuck's sake. Yeah, they're just confused. In the morning, both Esther and Jane woke up feeling very weak, especially Esther. Over breakfast, Dan T. decided to pay the town doctor a visit. That afternoon, Dan left the factory early, went to see Dr. Carritt, who laughed when Dan told him what had happened. Dan asked Dr. Carritt to come over that night around 10 p.m., and the doctor agreed. He also told Dan he didn't expect to see anything, mm. and that someone was probably just having fun with Dan and his family. Mm-hmm. As the hands of the Teed Cottage clock pointed to 10, in walked Dr. Carritt. After greeting everyone, he took a seat near Esther, who had been in bed since 9. At that moment, she felt completely normal. The doctor felt her pulse, looked at her tongue, and then told the family that she seemed to be suffering from nothing more than some nervous excitement, which was a, a diagnosis they would give for so many things back then. Okay. 
Then, just as Dr. Crit began to tease the whole group for letting a few strange sounds and some supposed moving blankets throw them into a hysterical state, a pillow popped out from under Esther's head again. Oh, God. Shot across the room, landing in the same corner as the blanket had the night before. As soon as it hit the floor, another pillow started to move, and John Teed grabbed it. He held on with both hands as everyone watched, as the pillow continued to float towards the corner, being pulled by some invisible power stronger than himself. How wonderful, exclaimed Dr. Crit, excited to see some unexplainable phenomena. Get the fuck out of here, you psycho. Just as the doctor arose from his chair, the reports under the bed commenced as they had the previous night. The doctor looked beneath the bed to investigate, but was unable to determine the cause of the sounds. Then when the doctor walked to the door, the sounds followed him across the floor. Boom! 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 And then the sound of some person writing on the wall with a sharp instrument was heard. What? The doctor and everyone else scanned the room for the source of the sound, and then near the head of the bed, in large characters, words suddenly appeared on the wall. Uh-uh. Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. What the fuck? As Dr. Crit stood in the doorway studying the writing, a large piece of plaster came flying from the wall of the room. It turned a corner in midair, fell at his feet. He picked it up mechanically, placed it on a chair. He was now too astonished to even speak. The moment he set the plaster in the chair, the poundings commenced again and redoubled power, this time shaking the entire room. Just boom, boom, boom. Esther continued to lay on her bed, paralyzed by fear. When the noises finally stopped, the doctor gave Esther some medicine to calm her nerves, then shakily got up himself, left saying he would return the following morning to check on her and then hastily exited. In the morning... The doctor did return as promised, and was surprised to see Esther up and dressed, helping Olive wash the dishes. She told him she felt fine again, only she was, you know, a little nervous, and uh, sudden noises would now make her jump. Well, yeah. Right. While the doctor talked to other residents of the Teed Cottage, Esther went down into the cellar to grab some milk, quickly came running back up into the cottage, out of breath, saying that she was down there, and that while she was down there, something or someone had thrown something at her. Ah. Uh. The doctor ran down to see for himself while Esther remained in the dining room. A moment later, he came back into the house saying he had found no one in the cellar. Right. Nothing had been thrown at him. He asked Esther to come back down into the cellar with him. Oh, my God. And Get the they, fuck out of here. And when they both walked into the cellar, several potatoes flew through the air towards their heads and they ran back up. No way. Get the fuck out of this house. What are we waiting for? So what was happening? Well, pale as a ghost, tremendously curious, though, about everything that was going on at the teed house. The doctor left the cottage to make other house calls, but promised to return that evening. I mean, he's curious. Well, he's a fucking idiot. Get out. That night, again around 10 p.m., the doctor and residents of the Teed Cottage heard more loud thunderclap-like noises, louder and in more rapid succession than had been heard on the previous nights. Then the source of the sounds moved from inside the home up to the roof. The doctor and the rest of the Teed Cottage residents went out onto the lawn where they could still hear all these sounds. So you could hear it from outside. Mm-hmm. The doctor would later report that it sounded as if someone was on the roof with a heavy sledgehammer pounding away trying to break through the shingles. But there was no one in the area. No one on the roof. It was a moonlit night. If anyone would have been out on the roof, they all would have surely seen them. The doctor stayed until midnight when everything had become quiet again and then left. And then when he began to walk down the street towards his own home, the sounds on the roof started up once more. Oh my God, no way. He continued to hear them until he was at least several hundred yards away. Most of the town heard them that night. Oh. 
And the next week it became common knowledge through Amherst that strange things were going on at Dan Teed's cottage. Ay, ay, ay. The mysterious sounds were now being heard by people in the street as they passed by the house. The poundings now commenced with regularity in the morning and oftentimes could be heard all day long. Three weeks into all of these noises and reports of objects zipping through the air, something new happened. Oh, God. One night, Esther suddenly threw her arms up towards the head of the bed. She became cold and perfectly rigid and fell into some sort of trance. While in this strange state, she told all, presence, about everything that had occurred between herself and Bob McNeil on the night he had tried to sexually assault and threatened to kill her. This was the first anybody else knew of this affair. When Esther fell out of her trance, those present told her what she had just started to say, or what she had just said, and she started to cry. She told them that it was all true, that he had threatened her with his revolver, that frightened by the sound of wheels in the distance, he had then driven her home, and her sister Olive suddenly wondered if the reason no one had seen Bob since the night this all happened was because Bob died. Right? And now it was his ghost who haunted Esther and he who had threatened to kill her from beyond the grave. And to be clear, she didn't know that he died, but no one saw him after this. Right, right. So she's speculating here. I mean, makes sense. As soon as Olive finished making her accusation, three loud reports are heard. This is when Dan Teed first decided to try and communicate with whatever was making these sounds. No, bad idea. He asked, how many persons are in this room? Give us a knock on the floor for each one. Oh, get the fuck out. Five distinct knocks are made by the strange force on the floor. There were five people in the room. Jane hysterically now fled the room. John and William fled right behind her. For the next three weeks, no one could predict when the manifestations would take place. Sometimes they would commence in the morning, continue all day. At other times, they would only take place after Esther had fallen asleep. The only constant with all of this is Esther herself. If she wasn't in the house, there would be no manifestations of any kind. Good God. They never occurred when she was absent. Not once. About a month after this all began, Dr. Edwin Clay, a Baptist clergyman well-known in the area, came to the Teed Cottage to behold these wonders with his own eyes. And he saw and heard what he came for. He heard the loud knocks and answered to his various questions. And he even saw the same threat magically appear on the wall. Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. He was convinced that Esther herself did not produce any of the manifestations herself and that her family did not somehow create all these theatrics as some locals were now starting to claim. Oh, come on. Get the fuck out of here. Of course they didn't do it themselves, you jackasses. Another minister, Reverend R.A. Temple, pastor of the Wesleyan Church in Amherst, also came to the Teed Cottage, also witnessed some of the manifestations. He saw, amongst other strange things, a bucket of cold water standing on the kitchen table away from any source of heat slowly and steadily bring itself to a boil. What was happening in this house? What the fuck is that about? People from all over the area soon began to come to the Reed Cottage to witness paranormal activity. Almost no one went home disappointed. Things went on this way for months until December when Esther came down with diphtheria and while confined to her bed for about two weeks, the manifestation ceased entirely. Oh, weird. Mm-hmm. After she recovered from her illness, Esther traveled to a nearby town to visit her other married sister, Mrs. John Snowden, remaining at her home for about two weeks, while there, also entirely free from manifestations. Hmm. Then when she returned to the Teed Cottage, the paranormal activities not only returned but with her, they escalated. One night while in bed with her sister Jane in another room, she heard a voice telling her, or in their room, she heard a voice telling her the house was going to be set on fire that night. 
Esther woke up, her sister, and then uh, Olivia and her brother-in-law Dan came in. Soon the whole house was awake. Despite everything that they'd experienced so far in this cottage, most present still didn't believe an actual ghost had spoken with Esther until a lit match fell from the ceiling out of nowhere to the bed. What? During the next 10 minutes, eight or 10 additional lit matches fell around the room. Shut up. Get the fuck out of there. Accompanied by loud knockings. Dan established that three knocks meant yes and one meant no. Asked the spirit if the house would be set on fire. The reply was three knocks on the floor. Just that moment, a dress of Esther's that was hanging on a nail in the uh, from the wall near the door suddenly was engulfed in flames. How is that possible? Dan and Olive, Olive and the others, now afraid that the ghost was going to start a fire in some inaccessible place in the house and burn the house to the ground. More fires would spontaneously uh, start in the days ahead, always when Esther was around. Oh my god. While Olive was churning in the kitchen one morning, about three days after the first fire, she noticed smoke coming from the cellar. Oh shit. And if you're thinking Esther was the one setting all these fires, Esther was seated in the dining room when Olive first saw the smoke, had been seated there for the last hour, previous to which she had been in the kitchen assisting her sister wash the breakfast dishes, breakfast dishes as was her custom. Olive seized a bucket of drinking water, always kept standing on the kitchen table, rushed down the cellar stairs, saw there in the far corner of the cellar there was a barrel of shavings blazing almost to the floor above. After throwing the drinking water on top of it, not coming even close to putting out the fire, Olive ran out into the street crying, Fire! Fire! Oh my god. Of course their cries get the attention of the whole neighborhood. A stranger who happened to be passing by instantly threw off his coat, rushed into the cottage, picked up a mat from the dining room floor, ran down into the cellar, put the fire out, and then without waiting to be thanked, walked out of the college cottage and was soon lost to view in the distance and was never seen again. What? Just like some random hero. And no one could figure out who he even was. I don't like that. For the next week, manifestations continued to take place daily and were as powerful as ever. There were now considerable concern uh, around Amherst about the fires. If the Teed Cottage were to catch on fire when the wind was blowing in from the bay, the fire could burn the entire village down to the ground. Right. And then, after fires, written threats, things flying about, months of strange sounds seemingly coming from some sentient apparition, a ghost actually physically reveals itself to the entire Teed household in the cottage parlor. Holy shit. Esther saw it first, quickly standing up and pointing to a corner of the room with a trembling hand. In a broken voice, she exclaimed, Look there! Look there, my God, is that a ghost? Don't you all see him? There he stands, in gray. See how his eyes are glaring at me? How he laughs when he says I must leave the house tonight, or he will start a fire in the loft under the roof and burn us all to death? What? What shall I do? Where shall I go? The ground is covered with snow, and yet I cannot remain here, for he will do what he threatens. He always does. Although only Esther heard this, they all saw the spirits. Dan, naturally alarmed his home was going to burn down, said... Something has to be done and quickly. The wind is blowing hard tonight. And if the ghost does as he threatens, the house will burn down for sure and perhaps the whole village. You must go, Esther. Remember, I don't turn you out. It is this devil of a ghost who drives you from your home. What? The trouble was, where was Esther going to go? They all knew none of the neighbors would shelter Esther because they all feared the fire-setting ghost. It suddenly occurred to Dan that a man named John White might give her shelter. He'd always taken a deep interest in the manifestations and had often expressed pity for Esther. So Dan, after putting on a heavy coat, walked through the snow to the White's house. John asked his wife if Esther could stay with them for a time. She said yes, and that very night, Esther Cox changed homes. 
It was now January, 1879, four months since the manifestations had begun. For the first two weeks of her stay with John and his wife, Esther was a helpful member of the White Household, haunted by nothing. Towards the end of the third week, Esther's ghost returned. Shit. Esther was scrubbing the hall at her new home when the scrubbing brush suddenly disappeared from her hand. After she and Mrs. White looked all over the house in vain for the brush, it abruptly fell from the kitchen ceiling, grazing Esther's head before it hit the floor. Shit. Other strange disturbances continued for several weeks, nothing terribly dangerous, until the sixth week, when once again, fires spontaneously appeared. The fucking fire. Not only did new fires start appearing in the White home, now the footsteps of an invisible arsonist could be heard walking or running away from the scene of the strange fires. Oh my God. The Whites could no longer keep Esther in their home. The risk of their house burning to the ground was too great. John White persuaded Esther to stay in a dining saloon that he ran in town. Okay. While Esther stayed in the dining saloon, more strange manifestations were witnessed by most of the town of Amherst. This is insane. One morning, the door of the large stove in the kitchen adjoining the saloon was opened and shut by the ghost. And then a moment afterwards, the ghost lifted the door off its hinges up into the air and threw it across the floor. Holy shit. On another occasion, a clasp knife, like a pocket knife, basically, belonging to little Fred, Mr. White's son, was taken from his hand by the ghost who instantly stabbed Esther in the back with it. Oh, my God. Several witnesses watched the knife plunge itself into Esther's flesh and stick there, and she began to bleed profusely, had to be treated by a doctor. Oh, my God. What the hell? The loud knocking continued, was heard by many. Towards the latter part of March, Esther went to St. John, New Brunswick, to stay with some family friends. Her case was investigated by a party of gentlemen, well-known in St. John as skeptical men interested in scientific explanations. These men all witnessed unexplainable events, including seeming to communicate with several ghosts. One communicated through a series of loud knocks that his name was Peter Cox. Another said her name was Maggie Fisher. Both guests or ghosts identified a third ghost as the fire starter, a man they said went by the name of Bob Nickel. They said he was once an Amherst shoemaker. Bob, same name as the other guy for his name, a little weird. Right, right. After remaining in St. John and being studied for about three weeks, Esther returned to Amherst, accepting an invitation to visit Mr. and Mrs. Van Amberg, who lived about three miles from the village and stayed at their place. Oh my God, just get to a fucking priest, man. She remained there for eight weeks. Nothing unusual happened that entire time. Thinking it all might finally be over, her sister Olive invited her to return to the Teed Cottage. Oh, terrible idea. Yeah, of course it's not over. Uh, these spirits manifested themselves again almost immediately. It's now June of 1879. The knocks start up almost at once. In addition to the knocks, objects began to fly around on their own again. A large carving knife once almost struck a visitor to the home in his head, oh my God. nearly killing him. Esther herself cut on her head by an old bone from the yard flying through the air. Another time, she's cut on her face by a flying fork. Objects are sticking to the wall with enough force. I mean, they're flying to the wall with enough force to stick there. The fires return. Walter Hubble, the author who wrote the book about all this, said that in early of July, 1879, he personally witnessed Esther swelling up to an unnatural size as if spirits took physical form inside her body. She screamed in between agonizing sobs. Oh, my God, I wish I were dead. I wish I were dead. She remained swollen for roughly three hours. Oh, my God. Then returned to a normal size very suddenly and fell into a deep sleep. By the end of July, the manifestations had once again become so powerful that it was no longer safe for Esther to remain in the cottage. 
Fires were continually being started. The walls were being broken by chairs flying across the room. Sheets and blankets are flying off of beds day and night. The heavy sofa kept flipping upside down. Knives flying through the air, sticking in doors. Food disappearing from the table. Finger marks would become visible in the butter. Worse than, all, uh, worse than everything, strange voices could now be heard both day and night, calling out to all who lived in the home by name. What the f- Fuck. Young Esther would have to leave the Teed Cottage for good. Uh, yeah. So, also, get a fucking priest. Get the fuck out and get a goddamn priest. So one July morning, after packing up all her worldly possessions, Esther kissed her young nephews, embraced her sister, shook hands with the rest, said her goodbyes, and departed never to return. Oh my god, this poor girl. Nothing paranormal ever reported to happen again in the Teed Cottage. Oddly, after Esther left the Teed Cottage... Whatever entity had been stalking and tormenting her began to fade, first losing its fire starting and object throwing power. Then the knocking sounds steadily diminished in volume until eventually life for Esther became entirely normal. What? She would end up marrying twice, both of her husbands dying before she herself passed away in 1912 at the age of 52, dying after having followed her second husband to Brockton, Massachusetts. And that is the end. What? That's just the end? That's it? It just stopped? It just stopped. That's what they call it, the Great Amherst Mystery. Just a weird, uh, yeah, a bunch of people would sign, you know, stick to the story for the rest of their lives. I mean, supposedly, basically the entire town saw all of this happen. Where's the, where's the molester guy? Did he, was never he found, dead? Never found. Never nobody, found. Nobody ever knows what happened to Bob McNeil. I mean, Bob is dead. Bob Pro- probably. did this. Bob did this. Uh, what is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? A candle, some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's (laughs) best. So lame. This year, how about one upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. 
I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Who doesn't love a little special something? A gourmet cupcake from your favorite bakery or a lovely bottle of wine? Do you ever splurge on a massage or an expensive meal? If you treat yourself to the best of the best when it comes to the things you enjoy, why would you settle for less when it comes to your health? Your health should be a top priority. I mean, you have one body to get you through this entire life. Why not treat that body to the best? ZocDoc is the place you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews, Don't settle for anything but the best because you deserve the best. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. I've been battling some insane heartburn lately. I tried all the -the over-the-counter things, cut out spicy food, alcohol, but I just can't seem to get any relief. After speaking with my family doctor, he suggested I see a gastroenterologist. Knowing I could find an amazing doctor within seconds on ZocDoc, I went to their website, entered my zip code and insurance information, and began to scroll the reviews of all the available doctors in my area that could help me find a solution to my problem. And I did it all in just a few clicks. So easy. Go to ZocDoc.com scared and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C doc.com slash scared zocdoc.com slash scared picture of the teed cottage in amherst so you can get i mean you know it's a long time oh, ago, yeah. so not the greatest pictures but this but just, and you see how the houses are so close to one another yeah so so the fear of fire i can very see real. very real right and then and then so here's a picture right. of her old bedroom esther's old bedroom okay okay just like a normal you know a little that's where her and her sister jane would sleep yeah here's a picture of esther we do have a picture of her um okay, okay. She's yeah. cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, normal looking. Pretty, like, yeah. Right, right. I mean, especially for the times. Yeah. Do you know, I mean, like by standards. I mean, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Now, and th- th- now, now, this next thing, remember when we were talking about uh, several weeks ago, the rocking chair moving on its own? Yeah. This randomly f- came up when I was looking into pictures in the Amherst. This is, now look, this is a little video here. I just thought this was crazy and just wanted to throw it in here. This, oh my God, how cre- it is creepy. Oh! <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Oh, I was worried that wouldn't work. Oh my oh, god, my so great! You are such a so great fucking piece of shit. Oh my god, that really got you. That really got you. I I, I calmed down on the random scares for a few weeks. Oh my god, you guys! Even if you don't uh, watch, you want to watch this part. It's we're about. I have a little time. About fifty three minutes into the show, check it out on YouTube. Even if you just listen and watch Lindy Lindsay literally almost fall out of her chair. Okay. Because of this gift. Are we done with that? No. Can we watch it? Do you want to watch it now that you know what's coming? No. Come on, just a friendly lady, just a little rocking nope. chair, and then a demon lady. Nope. A little rocking chair. Start to rock. Come on, there you go. And then all of a sudden, a demon lady comes out of nowhere. Okay, now it's done. <laughs> that was so good. That made me so happy. You were such a dick. I really got you. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Oh, that was good. That was good. I made my week. Happy Happy New Year's. <laughs> I'm going to kill you in your sleep. So what questions do you have? 
I'm going to kill you in your sleep. There are no questions. That's my statement. <laughs> no, okay, no, I was no, okay. That story yeah, was it's I mean, odd, right? A super was odd. odd. And and it just kept going. Like at some right, point, I just right, was months. like, "Come on." Well, okay. So why didn't they ever get a priest or uh, burn some sage or like? I don't I mean, get the sense seemed, that they were religious. Maybe that it, way. I'm not religious that right, way. But right. if this shit is happening, I'm like pulling out all the stops. You know, and this, I will say late 19th century in the U.S., and I'm guessing in Nova Scotia and I mean, I imagine kind of all over uh, the Western world, spiritualism was a big movement. And and people were into seances. People were into talking to spirits. It wasn't um, – people like, people weren't as freaked out. Like, 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 like they weren't scared as much? No, that it would be more like, oh, cool. You're able to talk to the you know spirits on the other side or, oh, wow, you have a ghost in your home. There was a period – uh, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, when that wasn't, people wouldn't freak out like they might right now. It might be a thing of like, oh my God, that's awesome. And they would, they would even like have parties to come over and talk to the spirits. Remember actually like um, the story about Leap Castle a while back? Yeah. And then there's that one lady who did like the the seances and stuff mm-hmm. uh, who lived in the home. That was, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, around 1920. Okay. And so, you know, uh, Harry Houdini, I talked about that in times ago. Oh, yeah. He was kind of famous for debunking a lot of those things. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there were a lot of skeptics, too, who thought people were just, you know, uh, figuring out how to make strange noises and kind of fucking with everybody. Right. But I will say not abnormal based, you know, just to answer your question, wasn't weird for them to not look to a priest in that period of history. Okay, fine. Well, I still don't like it, and I still think it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should have tried some stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about the well, writing? They tried. They got rid of her. Esther Cox. Right, right. What is it? I your will, mind to kill. Your mind to kill. And so it would like show, show up, up and it then show it would up go on the away. Wall. Yeah, that's what the witnesses say. It would show up and then disappear. You could hear it like being ca- written into the wall. <sighs> yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, lots, lots of claims, lots of sworn statements. You can like this is this is one of the ones. Unlike a lot of the stories, which are just you know one person's account. So cool. Y- you know, if anybody you know watching wants to, I mean, you can do a fair amount of research on this one. It is one of those things where, of course, because of when it happened, all of the research comes from a long time ago. Right. And, and there were some skeptics. There were, you know, some skeptics in town who uh, thought that the family was messing with everybody. There but was that, a, was, that would be extreme. And yeah. how would you? I mean, let's think about the times. So, like, how are you going to make matches magically fall from the ceiling? Like a, it's like, like a magic like, they don't trick have or fucking something. special effects like we do. No, no. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. How? How? Yeah. Either and, and to make yeah. like those like letter the words right. show up on the wall. Either it, either it happened or a lot of people colluded and lied together, which is you know unlikely. Unlikely. So unlikely. So so is the story. The story, all this stuff itself is unlikely too. So who knows? Who knows? Well, and then she would go to other houses and it would happen there, but then it wouldn't happen at yeah. some houses. Like was she went to her sister or whatever. Right in New Brunswick, yeah. And it didn't happen there? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I mean, and again, like, uh, yeah, if you want to Google it, uh, the great Amherst mystery. And, you know, I get now why it's called a mystery because it is... <laughs> Yeah, very mysterious. And you know, in some of these, some of these so tales. Sorry about that. That's okay. Bless you. Thank you. Some of these tales have that narrative that kind of you know works out more like a movie would, where it's like it builds and then there's a climactic moment and then the kind of story's over. But you know, with a lot of these, as we're as we're basing, you know, these are all like based on true tales of horror, right? Supposedly true. Supposedly true. So you know, that doesn't always play out that way. They don't always lay out in some compelling narrative way. Just like here's a bunch of weird shit that happened, right? And then it stopped. And and, and how knows? did her husbands die? I don't know. Don't know. There wasn't that much information about her later life. Just, that, just um, because that uh, feels a little. Why did she have two husbands? I mean, I guess people. Well, died. I will say back then, a lot of people died. Yeah, like people died all the time. But, you know, pretty young. But but yeah, yeah. Who knows? 
Under the maybe. circumstances. Maybe the ghost of Bob McNeil killed him. Or maybe she killed them. Maybe she was possessed. Maybe she... Maybe she killed Bob McNeil. I know. I did think that. I'm like, did you kill Bob? Did you take the pistol and turn it on guilt. him? And then he came back and haunted you because mm-hmm. you never confessed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? I don't it know. It will forever be a mystery. I didn't... I, I think I'm going to have a problem with that later. Right, because there's no ending. So, and sometimes those are the ones that kind of mess with you the most later. Right, when it doesn't because your get brain's wrapped like, up. You're, yeah, your brain's like, God damn it, what happened? Why? Yeah. Because we're programmed to want, you know, answers to things like that. You know, right. the human mind does not like ambivalence, does not like the unknowing, <sighs> which is which is why this show's so fun. It was just so many things. Mm-hmm. And weird about like the blankets and mm-hmm. the pillows always going to that one corner. <laughs> right, right. Like why, why, why was there? it going to that one corner? What was going on there? I don't know. Maybe the demons were playing catch. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was that demon lady that you saw on the sh- on the show a second ago. Maybe, I, th- maybe. I thought Joe was going to put her back up. <laughs> I, got, I got scared. It takes a while. It takes a while for her to show up. Uh, oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see that one six with you this next week. Um, I will say this this last week. Nothing. Um, I wasn't too freaked out this last week. Well, I am doing great these days. Do you want to know why? Oh my God. It's because of the 17 fucking crystals on your nightstand. I bought so you many crystals. Weirdo. I think we, we, well, we talked about this last week because mm-hmm. we talked about how Dan was so annoyed and we had a little tiff about it. Mm-hmm. He's calmed down, mm-hmm. thankfully. Because there's, you don't get to put any of that stuff on my side of the bed. <laughs> but I said when he goes out of town, I'm going to move all the crystals to his side of the bed. And I will. And I'll take okay. pictures and I'm going to send it to you. Fun. And there are just going to be crystals fucking everywhere because I feel so good and safe. Okay. I've done, I do. I've, done, I've, done, I've created my own nightmare. I've scared you too much, and now I've made you a weirdo. <laughs> I broke you. You didn't break me. Yeah, I'm I think, so I think happy. So. People, I, you don't know that you're broken. I feel so at peace. I feel mm-hmm. so good. And also, like when I went to Reiki like two weeks ago, I guess I helped some spirits cross over, and so I feel like they're not hanging around. What did you just me. say? I just helped some spirits cross over. Yeah. You just said that with a straight face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It happened when I was in Reiki. <laughs> I can't control it. It just happened. Okay. All right. Do you still love me? I still love you. I still love you. We can be different. We can be different. That's part of what makes life fun. <laughs> okay. Chris, crystals make life fun. Okay, good. I like I like crystals. Do you have some stories for me, Crystal Lady? <laughs> I love how you get so uncomfortable. I feel like I should write an entire story about crystals. Oh, God. And then pretend like it's from someone else. Okay. And really fucking annoy you for like 20 minutes on the show. Sweet. If you guys have any good crystal stories, please send them to me. That's info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Title, subject line, crystals. It would make me so happy. I want a good perfect, crystal story. Perfect. Okay. Are you ready? I am. Do I, am. I got squeezy? my squishy. Got it. Boom. Squeezy squish. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now, this person um, didn't give their name. Okay. So... Thanks for the story, whomever you are, and uh, let's get into it. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, they in, they titled this this story "The Thing in the Basement." Ah, uh, basements. Good are, title. Yeah, I'm already creeped. Basements are always fucking scary. Yep. Right. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. When I was four and my sister was two, my parents got divorced. They shared custody of us for a bit until my mother decided she was going to move us to Boise, Idaho. Idaho! It happened quickly, 
And my, mo- and my father fought to keep us in our hometown, but back in the 80s, mothers had more rights to their children than fathers did. Okay. Fast forward, after a long train ride across the country, my sister and I arrived in Boise to a new home my mother had purchased. It was a rancher with a full basement that had many rooms, including three rooms that looked like they were once bedrooms. Initially, my sister and I shared a bedroom upstairs in the main part of the house. My mother, being a nurse, worked long night shifts at the hospital. She mostly worked second and third shift, which is, you know, the the evening and overnight shift, leaving us with countless babysitters. At some point, my mother met a man and decided that my sister and I would be moving our bedroom to the basement. My sister and I had experienced some hair-raising, unexplained incidents before we even moved our bedroom down there. There was a laundry room in the first room off the basement stairs. Okay. And a small bedroom off that down the hall. And then there were two other Ah. large finished rooms even further down the hall from the small rooms. Got it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. We played in the back room with our toys and we would clean up our toys neatly always after playing only to come back to the room and find Ah. all of the toys scattered around the room. God. We'd get in trouble for the messes that we knew we didn't create. We would tell our mother that we did clean up, and she never believed us. We were scared of these two back rooms, and there was always a feeling of being watched, Uh. like we were never, ever alone. Now we were sleeping in the small room adjacent to the laundry room, up the hall from the two dark, scary rooms. Okay. We would go to bed and hear scratching noises coming from the back bedrooms, growls, and walking. Needless to say, we were terrified. We begged our mother to let us move back upstairs into our old bedroom, but she denied us. And things only got worse. (laughs) A babysitter was watching us one evening, put us to bed, and then settled in upstairs to wait for my mother to get home. My sister's bed was on the far wall, furthest from the door. Mine was closest to the door. Okay. We would hide under the covers, trembling with fear. And this night, as we lie there, we began hearing the scratching and growling. We whispered to each other, should we run? I'm too scared to run. This time, though, the noises were getting closer to our room. Oh, my God. And then it entered our bedroom. What? I could hear it crawling between our beds, making grunting and squealing noises similar to a pig. It was circling our beds, scratching and squealing and grunting and scratching and squealing and grunting. And we began to scream. I bolted out of the room, leaving my sister alone and something I will always regret. And I ran out of the room, up the stairs, telling the babysitter there was something in our room. She immediately went downstairs, screamed, grabbed my sister and hurried us all upstairs to the living room. She said she had seen a man in our bed. What the fuck? He was just standing there. She thought someone broke into the house and called 911 and then called the neighbors who came right over. The police and the neighbors searched the house inside and out and there were no signs of a break-in. They chalked it up to the babysitter being young and being spooked by being alone in a house she didn't know at night. But she saw it. She saw the thing in the basement. And as soon as my mother came home that night, she quit. This activity continued the... What, who, oh, the babysitter quit. The babysitter got it, got quit. It, got it, got it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This activity continued the entire time we lived there. We could hear it throwing our toys around the back bedroom, trashing us, trashing it, and getting us in trouble for a mess we never made. We didn't sleep. It was always in our room now, and we could hear the ha- raspy breaths and hear it hovering over us as we hid ourselves under the covers. 
My sister began sleeping with me in my bed. It somehow was safer for us to be together. Sure. We spent a year in the house, in this basement, being terrorized by something we could not see, but could feel and could hear. It never, ever stopped. The grunting, the squealing, the scratching on the walls, (sighs) the shuffling sound as it circled our beds. The entire time it happened, my mother never believed us and made us keep our bedroom in the basement. Luckily... After about a year, my father did gain full custody of us. We moved back across the country to our hometown in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We learned later that when we moved home, we were terrified kids. We were scared to be alone, scared of the dark, scared of our new basement, and we couldn't sleep without lights on in our bedroom. My sister slept with me, and it took a long time for her to sleep in her own bed. We never told my father what had happened in Boise, not until years later— And then he, of course, was furious with my mother for not keeping us safe. This has affected my sister and I into adulthood. Jesus. We both have PTSD, anxiety disorders. Jesus. And are still deathly afraid of the dark. I was constantly living in fear of the thing in the basement, and I was afraid it would find us again. It hasn't yet. Both my sister and I do have empathetic abilities uh, uh i can't say it's it right empath yeah yeah empathic abilities and we have seen spirits our entire lives but nothing evil or terrifying as the basement creature we smudge our homes regularly as a prevention i'm 41 years old and i still sleep with the covers over my head a nightlight on and i'm scared of dark basements scared to hear the grunting and the squealing that circled us as we lied in bed as children I've never told anyone about this until now. If I did, people would probably think I'm nuts. But I felt comfortable telling you, hoping that someone out there would understand what I went through as a child. Thanks for reading, and thanks for being a platform for me to be able to tell my story. Oh my god, this is the kind of stuff that really fucks with me. Yeah, why so? Uh, It's just, it's, it's so detailed. Um, you know, like, the person's not even getting, like, name recognition, so it's like, like, ego-wise, how would that right. serve them? And it's just so many. It's the volume. This is what mess. Like I, I want to be so skeptical, and I am so skeptical most of the time. Mm-hmm. As, as you know, like the crystal stuff. You know, like where it's like I get very like, come on. But it could help you. But then I hear these stories, and it's just you know, so many of them. Were like what? What? Right. Like and and to and to affect not just one sibling, but according mm-hmm. to her, like her and her sibling, and to affect them for so long, mm-hmm. and for the haunting activity to have happened for such a prolonged period of time. Yeah, a year. That, oh my god! And then the story about the baby, the little creature sound. I know the pig squealing. <sighs> and then the babysitter seeing a dude in the room. God damn it! That scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good. You know what? Good. I want to say good story, but then I also say like sorry. Sorry. Like, sorry. This has happened to you. Yeah. What got me the most about this story is that they didn't tell their dad anything that had happened until many years later, but he recalls them coming home being right freaked out, really upset children. I mean, I, I feel bad for this dad because, you know, the kids held it in for so long. He probably got his kids back thinking like, oh, my God, did my wife's boyfriend oh molest my, my daughter? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, where yeah. my brain would go. Like if right. Right. If we were separated from the kids for a year oh and then God. they came home yes. and they were like yes. shells that's where of my themselves. Brain would, yes, that's where my brain would go to. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Ugh. And then the fact that this these women are adults yeah. and, and, and the story is cohesive and you can, you know, she's even saying like, I'm embarrassed to tell this story, which leads me to believe that she's a normal person, you know. Uh, is aware of how crazy this sounds. Right. And is, you know, dealing with it to the best of her ability. But my God. Good story. Good spooky story. Uh, Yeah. 
Okay. Are you ready for one more? I am. I am. Okay. Okay. It's it's a little baby one. I dropped my little squishy and I'm not going to pick it up till afterwards. No, it's dead. I'm leaving it. It's dead? Uh-huh. Sorry. I just, <laughs> I skipped a page oh, when okay. I put you it in. I was like, like, oh my no, God, no, where did it go? What's my story? One second. Oh, crisis averted. Crisis averted. I'm just going to use my handy dandy time suck bookmark. Yay. To All hold right. it there. Okay. One more. Ooh, just okay. a little short one. Okay. Okay. Hey guys. I just wanted to write to you and tell you an interesting experience I had a few years ago. I was sleeping over at a friend's house one night in a front room that had a bed placed in front of a large window. Okay. Now, I had slept there a couple times before and never had an issue, but this night, I was woken up in the middle of the night to the feeling of claws on my side in a freezing cold room and a general uneasy feeling in the pit of my stomach. Yeah. As I sat up in bed to make sure nobody else was in the room with me, something shattered in the hallway just outside my room, and creepy laughter could be heard from the back of the house. You can bet your ass I jumped up to, clo- to close and lock the door to the room as fast as I could, texting my friends to see what in the hell was going on. As soon as everyone was awake, we found out that something or someone had gone through the entire house and opened all the windows, including the one that was by the bed I was sleeping in. Oh, man. This was concerning as you had to stand on the bed to have proper leverage to open the window easily. And I am a very light sleeper and didn't feel anything on the bed at all. The shattering sound was a heavy Buddha statue that had been knocked from a bookcase, but no one could explain the claws I felt in my side. What? Whoa, whoa, claws in her side? Yeah, in the beginning, she says that she woke, or yeah, yeah, she says that she woke up feeling claws in her side. Wow. Freezing cold room, and then this, this, like, yeah, you yeah. know, crazy Man, the sound. Claws, claws, yeah. claws. Um, safe to say, I was up for the rest of the night and elected to stay at my own apartment that night. However, I did move into that house with my friends a few months later. I don't know why the fuck you'd do right, that. Right, right, Since moving in, I've gotten used to living with a shadow person. What? We lovingly call Mard, who plays tricks on us and our animals all of the time. One of his favorite things to do is to close the cats in the closet and stand in dark corners of rooms. We also experience creepy entities that roam our neighborhood. The area we live in has all new buildings and most are less than five years old. So we have no idea what could be making this area so active. As I'm writing this to you, my dog started growling at something sitting in our living room and didn't stop until we went out there, greeted it, and asked it to kindly leave. Anyways, that's just a few of the things that happen here, but most definitely the most memorable. Thanks for the show. Keep it creepy. Alyssa. Oh my God, Alyssa. You keep it less creepy. (laughs) You're keeping it too creepy. (laughs) I'm worried about you. It felt like a little bit lighter. I like her attitude. She's like, I know, it's fine. I know. It's fine. Because that first story really uh, fucked me up. So I was like, let's uh, I know. find so, some balance. And sorry I missed the details at the beginning. The first story is still in my head and it's it's hard to stop thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, and not that that second story isn't also freaky. Yeah, but Alyssa is like clearly in a very yeah. different mental yes. space about it. Like she's comfortable with it and she probably has a shitload of crystals keeping her safe. Oh my God. She's probably doing so. Now, I, I do, going back to the first story, did you. Keep thinking about the sounds and the little pig fucking whatever squealy thing turn it into a dude like what okay I, I think we've talked about like the pig sounds before but like why is that so <sighs> so know. often a part of scary stories and so terrifying I don't know I never want to go to a pig farm 
I mean, it, it is a weird thing where there's, there's like a, a biblical basis for some of it where there is a, uh, I don't remember the actual chapter in the book. Oh, yeah. But there is, a, I'm pretty sure it's Jesus casting out some demons and casting them into swine. It's where some of the exorcism rituals comes from. Right. Where you got to call them out by name and you can cast something into something else. And I think sw- a swine is the example used. Okay, so, okay. But other than that, I don't know why pigs are scary that way. I, it make, I always think of, when I think of pigs and scary, I think of the Amityville horror story, the very famous haunting story. Yeah. You know, maybe arguably the most famous example in America. And there, in that story, the guy who you know moves into the house after Richard DeFeo kills his family in that house looks back from this little boathouse up into this window and sees a floating pig face, and it gives me the fucking chills every time I, I think I've, about it. I've got the chills, too. Well, I mean, not a scary story, but a great TV God. show that I watched was um, The Sinner with Jessica Biel. Oh, yeah. And um, if you... Don't watch the show or haven't watched it. There's a murder that happens and I, th- I think a few murders. I can't remember all the details anymore because I've got it mixed up with season two in my okay. head. But the – do you remember season oh, yeah. one? I do remember. And there was a pig farm involved. And just the, just mm-hmm. when they would go there to investigate, I was like, oh, my God, pig farms are so creepy. Well, and pig farms can be a little creepy where like hogs where there's – you know. There has been many examples of human remains being fed to the pigs. Right. To keep investigators from finding the evidence. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, and you chop up the somebody's pieces enough, you can feed them to hogs and they will digest an entire human being and then shit out the evidence. So it's like, I mean, I mean that that is another creepy association in my mind with them. Right. Where it's like, oh my God, getting fed to some hogs. And then I think it's I think it's the purge that they were like the the yeah, pig mask it's it just is, like it is. everything pig and i mean i fucking love bacon but man mm. pigs are scary <laughs> oh and i guess because of all the bacon pigs have a lot of probably revenge you know that they want to mm. enact on humans probably we've been eating them for so long so long <sighs> i guess so if tasty. you're i guess i guess if you're someone who's jewish and keeps kosher you're probably safe right when the, pig, the rest when of the, us are when, fucked when pig again comes around <laughs> they're gonna skip your house <laughs> pig again when the peer when the peerage <laughs> I was trying to mix. That was and, that was terrible. No, I was trying to mix pig and purge. That was awful. Um, but what I want, what I was going to say, is in that first story from our anonymous listener. Yeah. Did you catch the part where she says they smudge their houses regularly? Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to stop the story, but I was like, smudged. I'm, I, I guess that must be some type of cleansing thing. Yeah. So, um, you use um a pa- a Palo Santo. Sometimes I call it a Palo Alto stick. <laughs> Okay, use the um, Silicon Valley stick. Yeah, you use the Silicon Valley stick. Um, I don't want to do it in here because when you burn sage or smudge with um, pa- Palo, Sa- Palo, pa- pa- Palo Santo. Paleontology. Uh, when you're doing your paleo diet. Okay, when you're eating pa- paleo pancakes. <sighs> Can we have that for lunch today? Uh, maybe, I don't uh, know. That's I- what I'm going to have. <laughs> uh, if you're local, this is so random, but Michael D's has these paleo pancakes that are fucking next level. Yeah. They have like cinnamon and mm-hmm. nutmeg in so them. Good. Oh, they're so good. That's what I'm going to have. And they'll like fill you up for the entire day. Yeah, here in Coeur um, yeah. But anyways, I don't want to um, burn this because you need to have a window open because when you smudge and use sage, mm. if you don't create a space... Like if you feel like you're trying to get something out, Nate, whether yeah. it's negative energy or whatever, if you trap it... It has it's trapped. It has nowhere mm-hmm, to go, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to for us, we have to open the studio door and then open the door in the in the main part of the studio, yeah. like the yeah, office yeah, area, yeah. and then the outside door. But so you you would burn this. Okay. Um and just 
you know, I mean, I know you make fun of me, but like thoughts of positivity and light and right. like you're pushing out the darkness. And so there's a whole process. I mean, uh, if I make fun of you, but if a weird shadowy pig demon dude shows up in our bedroom, I'm going to be, I'm going to have a custom crystal uh, armor made that I'm just going to walk around in. I'm just going to like stiffly walk into the studio and sit down in my crystal armor <laughs> wearing like a crystal helmet. Well, here's what's yeah. good for you. Here's what's good for you is I'm, I, I'm a superhero. I, I have no. Oh. I keep sage next to the stove. I'm like, I regularly burn sage in the house. Okay. I don't know if you've even noticed that, like where I keep all the oils. I there's, there's sage there. Okay. Uh, I regularly cleanse our bedroom. I have lots of crystals in our bedroom. I have salted some of the doorways in mm -hmm. our house. So I, I need to do the rest of the doorways. I didn't have enough salt and I didn't understand how it worked. But if a, if a demon comes in our house, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put a crystal butt plug in my ass. Have you? And I'm gonna, so I always have crystals on my body. That's perfect. Have mm -hmm. you seen the? I'm gonna have um, a crystal cock ring. Have, hey, <laughs> then we'll both have crystals in us. Cool. Uh, have you seen uh, the? Have I shown you the picture of the crystal brass knuckles? No, oh, that's God. hilarious. Though. Oh, if if someone wants, to to, so you can punch a demon. If someone wants to make it or buy it, like I don't know where it is, but it is so cool. A couple people have sent me the. It's like a little uh, meme. Yeah, it says. Uh, Something about like when you need to align your chakras, but your hood is shit. <laughs> so, <and laughs> that's I was like, funny. Oh, like you clearly, you know me. Like, yeah, you know where I'm funny. from. That's yeah. funny. Are you going to be okay? I'm going to be okay. That one's going to stick with me. That one really is. That that was a very, that's one of the scariest stories I, the, for me that yeah. I've heard on the show. Yeah. It, it was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, so that, so that's, uh, so that's it. So, Hey, so Hey, before we mm -hmm. go, do you want to mm -hmm. talk about, uh, 2020? Do you, yeah, we're just excited. We're excited to see, you know, the show's only been going for a few months. I mean, it's getting more comfortable on this end. Hopefully it is uh, staying as good or getting better on your guys' end because uh, it just feels like, oh, yeah, this is what we do now. First, mm -hmm. it took a while for me to adjust from the storytelling style of Time Suck. Oh, the yeah. The other podcast I do and then I do stand-up. And it's like, you know, uh, I'm glad we have a different room because I feel like I need to go into a different mode. Mm -hmm. But I... I feel like okay. This is I I, I I like at least the way I'm telling the scary stories. It's I, okay. <laughs> I love I love hearing uh, your stories. I love that addition to the show, and I, and I don't really want to change anything. I just want to I just want to keep it going. It is exciting. I like that it tests my skepticalness mm -hmm. and kind of balances me a little bit. And I'm just looking forward to reaching more people and uh, you know doing more. Just seeing where this goes. I'm really excited yeah. to see where this goes in the new year and the new decade. Yay! Yay. Any, any New Year's resolutions, Dan? News resolution is just to be more efficient. I, I have some that I shared on Time Suck, or maybe I shared them in The Secret Suck. I think I shared them in The Secret Suck. Another p podcast. Uh, this We're is, very busy with podcasts. Yeah, very busy. It's a little um, Patreon one for, for Time Suck. But anyway, I'm not, I talked about balance there, and that's really – I want to get more efficient, organized, so I can have more balance. Cause, okay. Because I, I struggle with that, as you know, being overwhelmed with too much to do. But at the same time, I love doing all the things that I'm doing, so I don't want to stop doing them. And so what I want to do is just be able to do them in a shorter amount of time mm -hmm. so I can have more downtime to recharge and spend with you and the kids. Well, so that's, that's so nice. That's my goal. It's just, you know, be more efficient, have more balance. Believe it or not, we actually love hanging out with you. So I love hanging out with you guys. Yeah, you're fun. We're fun. You're okay. I'm a fun guy. You're, you're a fun guy. <laughs> what about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, like I haven't given a lot of thought to 2020 yet. I, I've yeah. been more reflective about... Uh, not only 2019, but this decade. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like when you really think back, I mean, yeah. a whole decade, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm 36. So, I mean, 
your mid twenties, like your mid to right. late twenties to your mid to late thirties, I think are really formative, important years. Yeah, and I don't think you. That, that's where I'm at. I'm 26, and that's why I can say I can speak confidently. That's where I. <laughs> that's what I feel right now. <laughs> I'm a hard. I'm a hard 26. You've, you've been I've living li- hard. I've lived a hard life. I hope it's been good. Hmm? Yeah. But you know, when you, well, when you are 26 and people tell you like, ah, you're so young, you're such a baby or, you know, oh, just wait, like the best is yet to come kind of thing. You know, people say that shit to you over and over and over and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But with each year, I think if you are an introspective person Mm -hmm. and have some self-awareness with each year that goes, you're like, oh yeah, like I did learn a lot that year. And so just looking back from 26 to 36, I mean, my life is vastly different, Yeah, right? Like we weren't even together a decade ago. Right, right. Right. Uh, You got so much good dick this last, you know, decade. You know what I mean? Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, I hope my dad is not listening to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry, dad. Uh, I'm so sorry that I'm married to a lunatic. mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I just think that it's been a really amazing decade. Yeah. You know, and I feel very grateful and very happy and all of that. So I don't, I haven't, I can already see your, your. No, I'm I'm just (laughs) laughing about the shit I just already said. But yes, I'm listening. (laughs) Uh huh. See what I have to put up with? It's like, Dan, over here. (laughs) No, I'm listening. I really am. Mm -hmm. I am. (laughs) <laughs> no, you're not. We can be done. I was listening. That's yeah, okay. but, you, but you said, yeah, you've grown a lot. And this, yeah, I had like yeah, a really, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I guess sometime in the next week, I should probably think about what I want the next decade to look at, yeah. look like. But uh, it's a lot to think about. It's a long period of time. Well, sure. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in, let's see, Kyler's a freshman. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in three years, we'll have one in college, right? And Monroe yeah. is in, so she's going to be 12. So, in six years. So in a decade, we'll be two kids in college, if not one getting Out. ready to graduate college, yeah. depending on what he decides to do with his life. Absolutely. I mean, that's so crazy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Decades from now, one in grad school or one out in the world and one in college, you know, or maybe one doesn't go. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But they're both going to be adults. I, I hope I'm not uh, possessed or haunted in the next decade. Oh, me too. That's, that is. If I do get possessed this next decade, I hope it's like a super powerful demon and I have so many powers. So that's, that's my hope. Okay. Yep. So please. If, well, if I get possessed, I want to be, uh, I don't want to have to sleep. I could get so much ooh, more done if I didn't have to sleep. That's cool. Yeah. I want to be able to fly. I want to be able to fly if I get possessed by a demon of a flight or something. Mm-hmm. I think that you've asked this before. And this might have been like a stand-up joke. I'm having like a weird thing. I don't thing. know. Uh, no, something about like, would you want to be invisible? Oh, yeah. I, f- I never I never recorded that joke. Or would you so, want to yeah. be able to fly? I forgot about that. That's yeah. right. That's right. I'd want to be invisible. Me too. Yeah. I'm spying people. Yeah. I want to fuck people up. Oh. And steal some money. And hide out in dressing rooms. Am I right? Up top. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe I should hope for a new husband. Oh, geez. (laughs) That's all for this decade, you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Please keep sending in those stories. Uh, My story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. They're so good. So good. And then info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com for everything else. Uh, Thanks for listening or watching Scared to Death Bad Magic Production. Thanks to the Bad Magic Productions team, Harmony Camp on social media, Joe Paisley producing and directing, Zach Flannery, part of the team as well. Thanks to Joe Paisley, Zach Cohen, Jeffrey Montoya for the sound beds, Heather Rylander for taking over the My Story at Scared to Death podcast.com emails. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram where you can get pictures now. Yay! At Scared to Death Podcast. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch the show. Thank you, Lindsay, for making the show so fun. Hi, sweetie. Thanks. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hope you were scared to death. Peace out. If spirits threaten me in this place, 
Fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.